Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Welcome back to Dear Writer, everyone. Today we are recording episode 42 and we are on to another author spotlight episode and today we have with us Kara Lee. Hi Kara. Hi. Hi Kara. So great to have you on. We love having these author spotlight segments so I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Definitely. So Kara has a background in art and aims to promote meaningful conversations and change through their stories and characters. They write hopeful, tragic LGBT plus stories across a variety of genres and have released a dystopic trilogy called Constellus Voss. I hope I'm saying that right. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and love creating art. They're of the opinion that entertainment and art can actually change the world if you do it right. I love that sentiment, by the way. Me too. I was going to say that too. That's kind of what you hope everyone to get out of your work, right? Is Yeah. A lot of people think that fiction, you know, it's just something that people do for fun, but stories are so meaningful in society, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's meaning making. I mean, you have entire pop culture, I guess, IPs that embed themselves in the psyche and that meaning making doesn't just go one way. A stereotype in a movie can pick up and be perpetuated for years and end up, you know, impacting people in real life. So the art background is actually our education. And then I went to tech and I don't know why that happened. I love them. Like I love the tech industry and like startups, but I really have no idea how I fell into that. And now, (laughs) you know, really, I have no idea. And then now I'm just, I don't know, COVID hit. And I was like, well, I hope I can make some meaningful media that hopefully teaches someone something or they find themselves in the story and now here we are with the trilogy so (laughs) yeah like how did this happen yeah so did you start writing during the pandemic or was this something that you'd been dabbling in a bit beforehand Constellus Voss is kind of a hangover I guess or like a carry-on from role-playing games with friends Uh, so I'm just a big a big nerd so I would you know have the forum role-playing games And I was just like, this is just my hobby. Like, I'll build websites for the rest of all time. This is just my hobby. I'm not going to, you know, do anything with it. So it's actually based on some role-playing story that's very similar. Dystopic future, evil regimes. And Mm -hmm. I love the story so much. And that game concluded. And I wrote this, Constellus Voss, years. And I was like, I'm just going to keep it for myself. Nobody, you know, it's just a hobby, whatever. But I've always loved writing loved writing more than painting which i'm like trained in oil painting and stuff loved it more than teaching loved it more than building websites and apologies you may hear my cat because he's decided to come join us <laughs> oh, that's totally he's fine. gonna sit on my feet he's so cute, cute. Yeah. so then i just wrote this and then the pandemic hit and i was like crap get it out there so it's actually been in the works <laughs> for a really 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 long time i just never thought that i put it anywhere because you know you have those hobbies you have those interests that you're just like these are mine like yeah I don't really <laughs> share it with anybody but mortality is real so I thought maybe I should try to leave a mark outside of painting and making websites I think if it's something that you're passionate about you have to pursue it right you know it almost I mean like everything's a choice but it almost becomes not a choice in the way that like you're so passionate about it it just the 
you eventually have to get it out there. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Thanks, Ashley. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was always a creative type. If I wasn't painting, I was like making digital art. If I wasn't doing that, I was like trying to figure out how to break programs and make them into something interesting. If it wasn't that, it was... I've basically made almost kind of everything. So... It's mostly figuring out how to focus, which <laughs> I'm not necessarily the best person to be doing that. Ever. Too many things on the go, too many creative yeah. projects, too many interests. You know, I'm like, I want to make a video game. Like, I have the skills to possibly make it. Lord knows I'm not going to be able to apply myself enough to complete something. But yeah, sometimes you just kind of got to make stuff. Some people are just makers. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of creative personalities out there that are kind of like that, you know, you want to try and experiment and see, you know, oh, if I like that, maybe I'm going to like this or, and so you try all these different things and kind of sample all these different things. Then along the way, you know, you're like, okay, well, that one's not for me, but this one maybe is a bit more. It's kind of an exploration, but I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. My partner is a musician. So he, you know, he's a lot more technical than I am. He does music and woodworking because mm. he measures things and there's like beats and stuff. I can sing, but ask me to like schedule something out and like make sure stuff lines up. I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't. <laughs> it's like the mad scientist versus like, we're going to actually build stuff. And I'm like, well, I built it, but I can't tell you how I got there. <laughs> Produce it. Every. Sounds like you compliment each other quite well then, though. Yeah. Yeah, a bit more methodical. And I'm like, whatever, like, I'll just figure it out. Here's a story. It works. I'll fix it later. Whatever. It's fine. Ugh. Just like chaos. Um, randomly going back to the RPG campaign that Constellus Voss came from, was that a campaign that you had written or did it kind of was it inspired from one that you had done as a group? Well, I was a GM for a long time for role-playing games. It's kind of like D&D, but it's like not exactly. Like, okay. I don't want to do the dice and the math and stuff. I don't, don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I don't have the patience for it. So, you know, as a GM of role-playing games on forums, you'd say, here's the plot. I know, Kat, you're very excited. Here's the plot. Here's the type of characters you can make. And here's like the overarching story idea. I made a lot of them. Like I made a crap load. That was like my number one hobby. And it was great. Like we were writing great stories. And then eventually people end up, you know, life takes over yeah. or they're like not into it anymore. And I'm really open to open storytelling and collaborative art. And some people have a really hard time like kind of going by the seat of your pants so to speak I don't have an issue with that but yeah the group just kind of we're still friends like I still hang out online with these people because they're from all over the world which is mm -hmm. another great thing is that you can mm -hmm. make friends from all over the world in your niche hobbies but yeah we didn't conclude it got pretty far and I still had ideas I wanted to tackle because I mm -hmm. love sci-fi I love dystopic topics like I love imagining what could happen without like oh it's just magic I yeah. like fantasy, but I have that part of my brain that's like, I can basically imagine anything. I can imagine basically anything within the realms of possibility. I'm not super into like the dragon gave me magic spells and therefore I have a super punching power. If you can make it make sense with science, I prefer that. Yeah. Yeah. Though I do 
like fantasy. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's something like, yeah, sure, we can bend time because science, it's, I don't know. I'm more <laughs> Star Trek and like less Harry Potter, to be honest. That's fair. Yeah, you know, like I feel there's definitely a dividing line between sci-fi and fantasy. And even when they merge together, there's still like a different feel to them. It's not like, you know, as fantasy as what it could be. Um, or as sci-fi as what it could be yeah but it's also fun when you merge them all together like even with horror too like something like event horizon or something where it's scary and sci-fi and like a little bit mystical that stuff gets really fun when you like play around with the genres pretty hard yeah definitely i like reading fantasy but as we've We've talked about this before where I, my brain is not set up to create that kind of fantasy. I like um, mm. more based in science and realism. Using both elements can create some really cool stuff. So definitely, definitely. Like I'm a big weeby anime fan. So actually I love the like, you know, random gamer trapped in a fantasy world. Like that stuff's pretty, pretty fun. And like the Witcher is great. Like Witcher series is great. Haven't watched the Witcher. My husband really liked it, though. Oh, it's so good, and the game is so good. <laughs> it's excellent storytelling. I think that's what matters most. You can kind of do really any genre at all. I'm not partial to, like, historic, to be honest. Like, I kind of like, you know, Flights of Fancy a little bit. But if it's a good story, if it's well-written, the characters are well-developed, like, you can kind of do whatever. Yeah, I agree. As long as there's a strong underlying story there that captures your interest, why not? Why not? So speaking of things that inspire you, is there any particular books or anything that you've read or watched other than what we've discussed that sort of inspires your writing? Yeah, I mean, I'm huge into Russian lit, you know, like Dostoevsky is a big inspiration. I read Crime and Punishment when I was like uh, 14 and it was a reading assignment for like AP English and I just read it in like a day because I couldn't believe that stories could be like that and you could have the form and the function of a story the crime with the punishment and tell tell a story in a conceptual way I had no idea and that really opened up my avenues of exploration with art I kind of just credit that whole time period of Russian intelligentsia with informing everything I make but I also really like anime (laughs) so like I take those no no really so that's amazing yeah, no. It's like two really contrasting things, but yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. Constellus Foss is very much like, it's three parts, you know. So you have volume one, volume two, volume three, and it's conceptually made to be that kind of purpose, like crime, punishment, except it's like volume one is intro to tropes, volume two is let's recognize patterns, volume three is bring it all together and what does it mean, which is super exciting for me as an artist because it's the form and function, like fine art thing in book format. Like we actually break the format in the third volume. I just like ditch chapters because I think it's really, yeah, no, I do. I like, don't really need cool. those. Yeah. We make them into acts. Why? Because I'm self-published and I can do what I want. <laughs> to be honest. I so, love that. Yeah. Why right. Not do it. Right. Like if it's helping tell you a story. Why not do it? So yeah, it's the big Russian lit stuff. It's anime like Akira and Ghost in the Shell area like 90s 80s anime and an ensemble cast that i think that they'd probably fit in the buffy universe but they're I can't say they're a little bit cooler but i personally find them a little cooler you're allowed to say that i think i'm allowed to say it yeah it's your yeah, book you're allowed to say that <laughs> yeah so very different disparate 
inspirations, but I think it's interesting to basically write the equivalent of an anime light novel and be like, but there's more there if you guys want to work with it. There's more there if you want to go past the like goofy ensemble robot cast and into (laughs) queer chaos, basically. Sounds like a fun ride. That's a pretty fun ride, yeah. While we're on the topic of Constellus Voss, do you want to give us a brief overview of the plot and the story? Because it sounds quite interesting from the little tidbits that you've mentioned. Thanks. Yeah, um, it's a little hard. So on the on the <laughs> basic, no, because it's three stories, but yeah. I'm also like, okay. writing seven companion novels. It's like a wow. big situation. Okay. On its most basic essence, I guess, for Constellus Voss is, what would happen if you basically took a 90s action hero like anti-hero sort of character and said okay you're gonna go into the dystopic super future it's basically now but ramped up to over nine thousand. how will you save humanity what is your opinion going to be of low-key like freneticized contemporary problems because it's basically all the challenges we're going through now in the future but like worse (laughs) (laughs) to make a clear to make a clearer point like it's yeah yeah. some bad stuff now Probably a lot of bad stuff, Dale. You gotta make it a little, a little more aggressive. Yeah. So how does he solve that? And is he the, like the best person for the job? So that's basically the premise is in the future, there's a big old ship called Constellus Foss and the absurdist regime of nonsensical future humans are like, we found this weird data disk. What if we just put it in one of the robots? And they do. And it's a bad idea <laughs> or maybe a great idea. I don't know. And it's an exploration of his life, what this future life is about, contemporary life. And strangely enough, Alex, the, you know, we're going to use air quotes protagonist, finds people that remind him of his past friends. So there's some bigger mystery going on. And just like, you know, they decided to probably do a really big bad and bring back somebody who probably shouldn't be brought back. But he's a fun Mm -hmm. time, even if he's, he's a chaos devil. (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just you know it's really fun i just i love the way you've described that (laughs) yeah they're they're all chaotic as heck but like i i wanted to make the superhero that i don't tend to see which is like what is like the queer version of the american action hero like what does that look like is is that like can that be flamboyant and vicious like is there some type of you know what i mean a way we can straddle that line of like this character, yes, 100% just has guns and goes in and goes, guns, pew, pew. Do they have to be one way? Do they have to be one type of a stereotype? And that's one of the things I like about writing this series and these stories is every character is kind of based on a trope. you got the femme fatale. You've got the himbo. You've got basically the queer anime villain who is actually the hero. Right. How do you break those tropes? How do you break them? How do you highlight... I guess the nature of human beings by using robots as a way to talk about the human condition and how complicated people actually are. I think we should kind of embrace a lot of stuff and maybe go for open representation. So that was not a nutshell and I was not brief, but that is Constell's boss <laughs> and my apologies. That's okay. No, that's fine. I was thinking like you're asking some really deep and really insightful questions as you're creating the work, it sounds, which is really cool. I find that quite inspiring. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it also kind of ended up becoming a living document because when you write something for such a long time, you, if you're introspective at all, 
if you're like actually invested in writing, say, diverse characters who are unlike yourself, then you may, as a writer, butt up against your own biases or biases in literature. So as you're researching and writing these characters, like they're not all like me, they're pretty different. You are bound to find perhaps literary misconceptions of humans and maybe your mm-hmm. own misconceptions. Your opinions end up changing the work. What you learn ends up changing the work. I think that's really valuable. I don't, I'm sure many authors do do that, but I think some authors say, no, this is the plot. This is how I want it to go. Yeah. Yeah. No, like <laughs> mostly near the end of it, I was like, I kind of messed this up. I actually have to, I have to change something because I learned something while making it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. I have to say, I have had similar experiences in, in writing diverse characters where I sort of put a, well, I, at the time when I started writing, I didn't realize it was going to be a diverse character. And then I realized that I'd made um, this gay character, like the villain and the only one, and I'd also killed them off. Mm. <laughs> and so then I was like, oh, and I started looking deeper into it and realized that it's actually a big trope of sort of the past that was coming through where, you know, like they're being put into these, these tropes because that people don't know how to deal with it. Right. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I think I need to change this. So I had to change an entire, the whole, like I'd switched genders with characters and played around with that, but you realize how like strong your conceptions are and you have to break through like your thoughts of, you know, that males act this way and females act this way or, and it really begins to highlight some of the sort of assumptions you make, I think. Definitely. But also not just maybe your own assumptions, but other assumptions too. Like Mm. the question of, is this gay character maybe a villain, you know, they get killed off. Is that always bad? Is it only sometimes bad? When is it bad? Can there be queer villains? Do we not want to do that anymore? If we say we can't, isn't that just tokenizing and not letting queer characters be villainous? I like those questions. That was what I faced too. When I did a bit of research to try and sort of work out what other people's ideas and things were behind it, it seemed to be like the the common thing seemed to be that a lot of people didn't like the idea of only having like one character being that yes. queer villain, um, which was a, is a good point to make. But if you had like more than one or like, rather than highlighting a sort of bad part of your text, it kind of brings in more depth to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Like I did that in Constellus Foss where everyone's bi, like they're all bi, like there's no question about it. But I still had a very early beta reader who was like, why is the villain gay? Why are they gay? And I was like, they're not, everyone's bi. Like in my, in this, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not sensible you know not everybody would be bisexual in the future but I made it a point I was like everyone is some kind of flavor of queer like yeah Alex is a trans dude at least that was his past life little pink one Maya Olive she's bi like they're they're all queer in some way maybe not in a very visible way but all of them are so I definitely got feedback like why is the villain que- queer like why is the villain gay and I was like but aren't they all queer? I'm confused. Like, I, don't know what <laughs> I was really confused. Yeah, I was super confused. I was like, I don't know what this means. Mm. I'm confused. Interesting food for thought. And I think it's one that people were going to have different opinions on. And it's going to be like one of those things that's a little bit contentious, but 
I think as long as we're raising the questions, at least, you know, people can broaden their minds about it. Yeah, definitely. Like, I very much have the stance of I'm okay writing like pure chaos as long as it's getting people to ask questions. I'm even fine, like, I don't know, say my dreams come true and Constell's Voss kicks off into like the stratosphere and goes like nuclear. If people are upset, I have more than the capacity to write a gajillion stories and make a living document of a series to make better things Mm -hmm. as long as people are asking questions as long as people are challenging me in themselves I don't have a problem with it which I I kind of think some writers do because they're like no I made this thing and I'm like I'll change it I don't care I made it Mm -hmm. like you're the god of your own little universe why don't you just you know the questions matter the questions do matter but it is that balancing between not wanting to hurt people's feelings and also being like but we gotta ask they ask some questions definitely you have to raise some points you know like you can't just walk the middle line all the time or you don't progress anywhere as people right so you need you need to ask questions even sometimes if it's difficult for people to hear them yes yes definitely at least it starts a conversation which is what you want to do with your books right yeah yeah, definitely. Definitely want to start a conversation. And, you know, some stuff isn't negotiable, you know, like racism is oh, real. It's not yeah. negotiable. Like, you know, also it, we get that stuff, but it's also yeah. like, how do we articulate what we think of is good? Do we end up losing? Sorry. Do we end up losing out on some people's real lived experiences when we say this is good? This is bad. Do we end up making stuff really simply black and white when it's not? That's kind of what I want to get to. And I'm hopeful that readers will internalize that. And I'm hopeful pe- we, we can kind of get there as a broader global society of we may have difficult conversations about delicate topics, but maybe someday, hopefully, I have no idea, most people will be willing to reach a point of like, let's be legit about it and be able to accept like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe we can get to a place where it's more about negotiating a shared reality made out of empathy because I would really like to do that someday maybe if we could that would be nice wouldn't it (laughs) it would be be a nice future and you voiced that very well I think as well thanks sorry I don't normally know what comes out of my mouth (laughs) lucky yeah I'm barely contingent and salient at the moment um so you were saying that you have a lot of other I'm gonna call them supporting stories to go with your Constellus Voss trilogy so is the trilogy like a fixed trilogy like it's going to be a trilogy and that's sort of it with respects to Constellus Voss and then you'll have little kind of satellite slash world building stories around it is that the idea yeah I mean so Constellus Voss is the main line trilogy it's already settled okay yeah that's set but then we're doing little backstories for all the characters so you know it's going to be like, what was Alex Robot's real past back in the 90s? Like, what was Henry Robot's real past back in the 90s? So they're actually completely different stories. Even if they're in the same IP, they're technically different because they're actually okay. technically different characters, which is interesting for me. Also from like a legal standpoint, like say if I wanted to shop them out, if somebody considers them the same IP, they're not technically. So they I might see. want to play with that. And, you know, interesting. I could lean into being a bit of a troll if I wanted to, which I do. I enjoy that <laughs> stuff. So yeah, no, I love it. And then maybe an isekai would be really fun. I'm not really sure, but that's something that I could 
see myself doing. But yeah, it's more like a constellation of stories. Mainline trilogy has been written. Where I go from here is wherever. So do you have any other releases in the in that sort of sphere <laughs> uh, coming up soon? I do. So I'm not, you know, Consoles Boss Volume 3 is releasing sometime in oh okay okay maybe i don't i don't really want to spoil that's okay that's okay yeah i mean i have those seven novels they're planned and i would like to get one out around november okay but that's like four books in a year and i don't know if that's smart if we should be doing four that's a lot i guess that depends on your your goals and like consistency and stuff because i've heard that you know some people can do four books in a year and kind of maintain that but I know for me I'd be like worried that people are going to be expecting four books every year and that would freak me (laughs) out (laughs) yeah and it depends on your goals right yeah I mean my goals are just to make art and hopefully you know hopefully be a full-time author hopefully be able to help my friends hopefully be able to give back in some way you know I'm like old like I'm a geriatric millennial I don't know like I'm ready to just be an artist forever like I'm okay with that I think it's about time so yeah, if it means putting out four novels per year, I can do it, and I'd be more than happy to. I know, Kat, you love me so <laughs> much. You're in so much support. He agrees. He's like, yes, yeah, stay home with me. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. This really happens every time, and I have to, like, lock him up. It's fine. Ashley's dog occasionally makes um, appearances on the podcast, and we welcome animals' voices as much as we welcome everyone else. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> What's your cat's name? Raleigh. Raleigh, so cute. Raleigh. So yeah, he's cute, a sweetheart. Cute. He also low-key kind of makes an appearance in the novel, but nobody will know, so that's like <laughs> fine. Yep. Is he a cat in the novel or is he something else? No, he's a cat. He's okay. A cat. I just, you know, come, come on, like a cat parrot, one of the characters will definitely have a cat. So recounting old memories and old life would no doubt there'd be pet present yeah for sure cats are great you know pets sure. are great in general why not cats and so. novels are just really cool I found it interesting lately that I realized I'm definitely one of the people who are more attached like to animals even if they're only mentioned very briefly in novels and stuff and if something happens to the animals I'm like oh my god what is going on that's so what have you done right so mad and so stressed when anything happens to animals yeah yeah don't read where the red fern grows don't do that never I think that's the one don't I grew up on a farm and so I didn't really think that I mean like you know you'd think that would make you attached to animals but also you know you see death growing up on farms and you know you you sort of see a bit more of like the nature of life and so you don't you know it's not like I'd cry if like a sheep died or something but um (laughs) (laughs) the cat in that novel (laughs) yeah now I've realized that actually I'm very attached to animals (laughs) that's so cute yeah that's adorable I think a lot of people react like that though I can't watch anything with animals in it like if there's a movie about a dog I can't I just can't James wanted me to watch like I can't remember it was called like Toto or something and I was like what's it about he's like oh it's about the story of this dog and I'm out I'm out I'm gonna cry it's gonna be so sad (laughs) I can't do it yeah a lot of emotions I know I know 
Anyways, we're going a bit off track as we usually tend to do. How about you tell us a bit about your process as a writer? Are you a pantser or a plotter? I think you mentioned you were quite spontaneous with your writing before. When you're writing the novels, is it the same or? Yeah, I write to music because I'm like very musically obsessed and high key I wish I had the animation skills to make all of the stuff I make into an animation so I'm like imagining scenes as I'm writing them and then at some point I go okay how does this end though like where do we go now like am I just writing forever like what are we doing and I end up tying it up but that's when I make an outline I hit like the 75 percent 80 percent mark and I'm like all right what have I actually made like what are like where did it go and it generally ends up being pretty cohesive except then I have to end it at some point like everyone does and that's when you make a little outline and it's definitely not what everyone does but mm -hmm. the more structure I add I tend to find myself stifled I guess right you know mm -hmm. even though I've been writing these characters for a really really long time a lot of them are contrary on principle alone <laughs> so <laughs> no no legitimately we've had characters like that yeah we're, we're being real here Alex no if I was like Alex you need to die in this story and this is exactly what happened he's supposed to it's okay it's a spoiler whatever he's supposed to die in his origin backstory and I will and I you know I sat there and I was like but would he really would he he be okay with that no because he's a self-aware creation and he's gonna like change fate I can't help it like I can't do anything about it these characters will not abide by me being like yeah so all of you get super injured because i know they're not real people but you gotta write them true to form right yeah so yeah. in character if i can figure out a way for them to not be injured or not be killed if they were real people they would just literally like hold a laser pistol to my head and be like fix it fix it fix it so i just kind of have to you know i have to do it that way it sounds like completely bonker doodles but yeah like the more I plan and say, we need to go this way. I don't know. My creations are just obstinate and in character will find a way to do something else. So planning, it's not going to, it's not going to work. I don't know if it makes any sense or sounds like completely bonkers. No, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> We've had more than one situation where our characters just will not do what we want them to do. So we understand. Yeah. I just refuse. Almost like you've got to trick them into doing it. <laughs> yes. And that sometimes look like looks like you're messing with the meta of something too. And that could end up like a bit heavy handed. Yeah. So you're like, did I literally just make a trap for them? Because I can't get them to. <laughs> they won't do it on their own. Right? You can't railroad them into doing X, Y, Z. Which to people who aren't writers probably sounds a little bonkers because they're not real people. But to us, we have created life basically created a set of parameters there and we can write stories and experiences from the perspective of people that aren't necessarily real like they can be based on real people but they're not real but it feels bad to go against like to go out of character basically yeah well we spend all this time trying to make them as real as possible for our readers so it makes sense mm -hmm. that to us they come up like they feel like they're pretty much real people so it totally makes sense I feel like if you try and write them into a scene doing something totally different from what they would want to do, that it comes across as quite ridiculous and like really pulls you out of the book because it just seems really weird and it makes 
their actions seem trying to think of the right word other than ridiculous <laughs> but it's not coming to me like forced like forced. Or forced but also like it almost makes it amusing in in a way and not a good way like a, a spoof of what you want them to be doing <laughs> you're like that would yeah, kind of like you're plagiarizing yourself almost to kind of yeah <laughs> yeah kind of like you're plagiarizing yourself like i'll just write in my own style and yeah i can see that yeah it's it's weird but definitely uncomfortable if you try and force yourself outside of that sort of parameter that you've made definitely definitely so how have you found your self-publishing journey has it been a learning experience which is kind of what Sarah and I have been finding have you enjoyed it what's your sort of overall feeling about it it's fucking difficult like it's just really (laughs) hard I'm a freelancer and it was easier finding freelance clients like I'm a marketer. It was easier marketing my services of like, I'm going to build you a website for 10 grand. Somehow that is easier than all the other stuff. It's a totally different beast bird. I thought it would be comparable, at least a little bit to like selling widgets through tech. No, no, it's totally different. It's completely, it's like the annex between entertainment and something else. You know, it's a product. You're selling stories. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't think it would be all too different than like install this app or whatever. I have no idea, but it's actually way different. Stuff's also kind of like you want a community built. You want to, you know, engage your followers and fans, court new followers and fans and interact and engage with other authors. But to me, I don't know if either of you have found this, but it's like kind of clicky in in a way I don't like personally, like in a way that bothers me. And somehow, even though tech is like, has so many problems a lot of them a lot of problems the clicks are less about you know really pedantic stuff and like meaningful stuff in terms of wow these tech bros are all sexist and racist probably we don't want to hang out with them versus you're in self-publishing spaces at least i find this and it's like indie versus traditional publication yeah that separation doesn't really make any sense i don't think it makes any sense So that clickiness really bothers me, especially coming from tech where you have founders who are like, basically, I'm putting all my own money into this. And I'm like, yeah, you rock. And then you do the flip side for indies where they're like, basically, I'm putting my own money into this. And there's a misconception that means the work is bad. I don't get that. I don't understand. Mm. Yeah, there definitely still is that sort of antiquated thinking around like, oh, you can't get someone to do it for you. That must mean it's terrible. Uh, whereas that's totally not the case these days and you know people choose to self-publish for all sorts of reasons and often you know as we've sort of talked about on um, other episodes it can be more lucrative to go self-publishing than traditional so like even other editors when I've you know listened to other podcasts have said that they would 100% advocate self-publishing more than traditional publishing and that was Sean Coyne from the story grid said Mm. that so you know like he's been an editor for years and he's saying go self-publishing unless you have a really really good reason for going traditional yet people still have this impression that self-publishing you've failed to get it out there and you know like the traditional route which is quite sad yeah it's it's very sad it's also like I've heard that, say you get, I mean, I 
I don't, I don't know. I'm too neurotypical and I just don't have the patience. So I never like really tried earnestly to get traditionally published, but say you have a series and your book only gets picked up for one of those. And, you know, I heard that actually the rights are kind of still contingent with the publisher. Mm -hmm. So you only may be able to release two of them, maybe only one of them, depending on how the sales do. And I wasn't willing to do that. So yeah, I mean, you get, you get more freedom. It's very hard. You kind of have to do all that stuff on your own. But yeah, like I, I think long-term self-publishing is maybe the best way to go. Because yeah, are you putting up upfront costs and all the effort yourself? Yes. But you're not contingent on someone else. You know, you get those royalties. They're yours. Sure, mm-hmm. you probably have to share them with Amazon. And Amazon's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a different thing, but yeah, it's a different uh, thing, but you get to keep that. It's a weird and a chunk of it. You get a good chunk of it. And it's a weird antiquated idea. You know, I don't know, like publishers are looking for, at least in my mind, something that historically sells and they're less keen to take risks. Yeah. You know, like the marketing sales data, young adults are really huge genre now, for instance, I don't know YA at all, but what I do aim to say is it's such a huge demographic and everybody's into it that like adult stories, things kind of outside the pale a little bit, don't get as much airtime. It's like you're looking, you know, for what's trendy, what's ahead of the trend. What if what writers want to make isn't what's trendy, but is what's necessary? And I don't know that traditional publishing can kind of keep up with that. I think it's a little more concerned about sales which is fine we all want sales but I don't know I I think art first that doesn't mean that what someone has to say shouldn't be said right or that exactly yeah yeah just because it's not on trend yeah exactly not to say that if you know you're listening to this and you are traditionally published that it's the wrong way either it's just that I think we all need to collaborate more and be more understanding in general and open to the fact that it's you know whatever way works best for you is the way to do it not you know one way fits all kind of thing yeah definitely especially with you know the internet has its challenges but I think the way that works is the way that works best and that may be different for every single person you're right how about is there anything that you'd like to add that we haven't covered already like any specific thing you'd like to discuss more I don't think so. I mean, I think we've talked about a lot of cool stuff. We have, yeah. Really enjoyed it. My rambling wasn't too bad. Um, (laughs) I enjoyed it too. You both are really sweet. Really kind. Thank you. We try to make this a very open space and have the conversation flow more than box everything into like a specific form. But so I think we've managed that today. And thank you so much for coming on and discussing your views with us because they've been very insightful and very interesting and we've loved having you on thank you i appreciate it so how can people get in touch with you slash how can they track down the books in your constellus voss trilogy sure so constellusvoss.ml is the main website i link to everything c-o-n-s-t-e-l-i-s-v-o-s-s.ml but if you look up kira lee K-I-R-A-L-E-I-G-H. I'm like all over the internet. Like I have a TikTok, I have 
an Instagram, two Facebooks for no apparent reason. Like there's, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn most of all, which is completely bonkers, but the nerds do live there. Yeah, I'm, yeah, they do. I'm all over the place. And Consul's Voss is on Amazon. It's also on like Barnes and Noble. Just look up my name. You will, you will find it in good time. Excellent. So there are still some spots on our author spotlight section. So if you would like to be on the author spotlight section, then please go over to our website at lindersoncreations.com and hover your mouse over the podcast menu. It'll give you a drop down um, that'll take you to a form to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, it's another one of our Talking Shop episodes where we chat about some of the resources that we've been using to better our writing stuff. This has gone well. (laughs) Craft. (laughs) If you'd like to know more about us and our writing projects, you can check us out at the previously mentioned website, lindersoncreations.com, or get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram, which is also under the handle lindersoncreations. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. And we'll be back next week. So happy writing, everyone. (laughs) 